Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Levin, our number is 877-381-3811, I have to say what I have to say, regardless of the consequences. The reporting and commentary on what the Trump campaign team is trying to do is as disgraceful as the reporting and commentary on the Russia hoax. The lawyers involved in these cases on behalf of the Trump campaign are definitely fighting uphill battles, but they are fighting righteous battles. Enormous instances of fraud are being found and being provided to them. They're tracking them down. They're getting affidavits. They have hundreds and hundreds of affidavits in their lawsuits. The clock is ticking and they're under pressure at the same time. And there's two different types of lawsuits being brought. And I must say, I watched Jonathan Turley and my former buddy, Annie McCarthy, and I think her name's Kristen Fisher. I don't know what kind of legal background she's had, if she's ever been in a courtroom or ever handled a case. And the reporting and commentary, in my view, is really, uh, it needs to get better. Let me put it to you that way. And on CNN and MSNBC, they don't care about the truth at all. They are pathological, serial liars. You have to be a psycho to get a job on CNN and MSNBC. So I dismiss them all together. And I say this in terms of uh, the commentary and the reporting to buy, try and be very positive and contribute to what I hope will be an improvement. You've got two kinds of cases going on here. You've got constitutional challenges, and then you have challenges based on fraud. And in some cases, there's an overlap. The constitutional challenges in Pennsylvania and elsewhere raise questions of the Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution, the 14th Amendment. And this clause was referenced by the U.S. Supreme Court itself in Bush versus Gore. 
And that is basically this. You can't have disparate treatment from one voter to another based on geography, based on political party, or anything else for that matter. Based on the manner in which they vote. Because otherwise you're going to disenfranchise some voters while promoting the votes of other voters. It's a very serious issue. It's the Equal Protection Clause, 14th Amendment. There's also a challenge on Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2, on who gets to make election laws. Again, a very serious matter. The court took it up in Bush versus Gore, took a look at it, but it didn't actually have to rule on that. But the court wants to rule on that, at least some of the members of the court do, which is why Associate Justice Samuel Alito not once but twice ordered the Secretary of State of Pennsylvania to segregate ballots. Seems like a pretty important issue, doesn't it? Now we're told that that only amounts to 10,000 ballots. And I'm thinking to myself, who are these commentators on television? That only amounts to 10,000 ballots. Well, that only amounts to 10,000 ballots in Pennsylvania. But maybe it amounts to more than 10,000 ballots in Pennsylvania. If you look at the actual lawsuits they're bringing, they're raising the Equal Protection Clause in, in a variety of circumstances. But if the court rules, as it should, that only the state legislatures can make the election laws and state courts and state governors and state secretaries of state and state election boards can't, that can have an effect across the country. It could have an effect across the country in states like Georgia where the Secretary of State entered into a a secret decree with the Democrat Party, which is also being litigated by Lim Wood. You've got to look at this whole thing. If there's a Supreme Court decision, and the Supreme Court decision on Article 2 has an effect across the states, I don't know. I haven't done an analysis of it. But the point is, these are constitutional cases. You don't need evidence of fraud. You don't need evidence of fraud. They're constitutional cases. And so if you have institutionalized instances where governors or state secretaries of state or the Supreme Court of the state have put their finger on the weight of the Democrat Party against the Republican Party, of course you should litigate that. If they couldn't get what they want from the state legislature and so go to the state Supreme Court and get what they want, of course you should litigate that. How is that frivolous? Frivolous neither in this election or any election going forward. And it's an amazing thing to hear the commentators say it only affects 10,000 ballots. When the judge, one of the judges in the federal district court case, when they were raising this issue of curing ballots, that only dark blue areas were told that they could cure ballots, meaning you could open the ballots in violation of state law and contact the voter and tell them to fix their ballot, that that advice and guidance was given to only boards of election in blue areas and not red areas. The judge, an Obama appointee, a federal judge in central Pennsylvania said, well, you would have me throw out hundreds of thousands of ballots. So on the one hand, we have the judge saying you would have me throw out hundreds of thousands of ballots under the Equal Protection Clause. On the other hand, we have a commentator on my favorite cable network saying, oh, well, that part of the ruling on Article 2 only affects 10,000 ballots. 
But it's more complicated than that. And it's broader than that. We're talking about Article 2, but we're also talking about the Equal Protection Clause. Now, if the judge at the district court level, the Obama judge, throws it out, are we going to have a reporter with no legal experience whatsoever then get on TV and say they lost another one? You lose a lot of cases before you win cases. That's the way it works in many parts of the country. You don't pick the judges. You can't help it sometimes. But that's a serious challenge, isn't it, ladies and gentlemen? Now, another point. There's a lot of confusion here. And unfortunately, it's being given by former prosecutors and law professors. Really absurd. The quantity of the fraud. First, there's no fraud. You can't prove it. Now there's not enough fraud to matter. And they know it. Sitting in their studios in Washington and New York and elsewhere in the country, they know there's not enough fraud. How do we know? Because Giuliani and the hundreds of volunteers they have haven't shown us enough fraud. Number one, the quantity of fraud is not the test. You have sworn affidavits by American citizens, also election officials, under penalty of perjury. You didn't have that in the Russia hoax case. You didn't have that in the Stacey Abrams case in Georgia. You've got it up the wazoo here. So the quantity of the affidavits and the seriousness of the affidavits is unparalleled in American history. In American history. The fact of fraud, the fact of fraud can raise serious, even grave concerns of voter disenfranchisement. That's enough. That's enough to get a positive ruling from a court. And the court can fashion a remedy, doesn't have to accept the remedy that's proposed by the judges. A court can fashion a remedy, including transparency. That is, protect those ballots. We want to take a look. Protect that software. We want to take a look. That should be enough. Nobody walks into court and says, I have 150,000 ballots here, Your Honor, all of which are problematic. What kind of stupid commentary are we getting? It's not a numerical test. And yet these instances of fraud can lead to evidence of widespread fraud. And that's usually how it works. When you're prosecuting the mob, you get, a, you get a rat fink. You get a source. You get information. And you build from that. You don't have to go in front of a federal court and say, look, I need all these warrants. I need all these wiretaps because we have evidence that we have 73 members of the this or that family. That you don't need that. And yet, the report was that Giuliani's team did not credibly explain their path to victory. They have credibly, credibly explained their litigation activity, which could well be a path to victory. And this litigation strategy in these various states the laws have been changed in many cases illegally where they're tracking down 
30, 40, 50 different types of voting activity, even with the states, there's different activity in different counties. It's a very difficult and complicated business. And she said they didn't reveal enough fraud to affect the election. They didn't reveal enough fraud to affect the election? How do we know that? Well, they haven't presented it. No, they're not going to present it. It's not possible to present it. They're bringing lawsuits about fraud. They need access to information. They need a court to assist if it sees fraud. They don't have a grand jury. They don't have subpoena power. They don't have the FBI or the state equivalent behind them. They're litigating uh, um, cases in civil court or civil cases, not criminal cases. So it's very appalling, the extent of the anger and the attempt, the attempt to smear these lawyers who are doing their jobs. And we sat here for three and a half years on the Russia hoax. They didn't have signed affidavits. They even had criminal investigations. They had a grand jury. They had congressional hearings. They had the FBI involved. They had the intelligence agencies involved. And there was nothing there. These lawyers who are, who are uh, suing and, and investigating on behalf of the Trump campaign, they don't have any criminal investigative, uh, investigatory powers. They don't have any grand juries. They don't have the FBI or the intelligence agencies or Congress behind them. They're on their own. And they're trying to look in these Democrat machines. And as I've been saying for weeks now, these reporters aren't in the field actually trying to find out what's going on. They're sitting back like opinion makers. Well, they didn't present us with this and they didn't present us with that. They laid out a strong legal foundation. If it gets to where it needs to go, nobody knows. We don't control the judiciary. We don't control the luck or the bad luck of how a district court judge is chosen or a panel on a circuit court is chosen or whether or not Supreme Court justices will do their jobs or not. And Jonathan Turley goes on, and this is some magnificent conspiracy theory. Well, maybe he ought to educate himself. And I say it respectfully. I have article after article after article. I ran out of ink and paper my pathetic little printer. Huffington Post, over and over again, articles. PBS, NBC, New York Times, USA Today. What are they concerned about? The Dominion voting systems. The PBS article, uh, excuse me, story I played for you in full. That was just a few weeks ago. I guess they fixed everything. And Dominion is linked and is part of a company that was in fact set up by the Venezuelan regime and Hugo Chavez to steal elections. Canada Elections Department announces it doesn't use the controversial Dominion voting systems. Even though the headquarters is in Canada, they won't use it. 
Threats to Georgia elections loom despite new paper ballot voting. They have the Dominion voting system. Where did this appear? The Atlanta Journal Constipation. Will your ballot be safe? Computer experts sound warnings on America's voting machines. That's USA Today. USA Today. The black box voting machines, computer vote tampering and vote counting irregularities. That's the Huffington Post. I should send these articles to all these genius lawyers and commentators and reporters. I'll be right back. Mark in. Hillsdale College serves four purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Education and faith thrive in freedom, and freedom requires educated people and people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale College has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for over 175 years, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide through its free online courses and through its support of classical K-12 charter schools. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating way back to 1844, commit to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. The learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God as described in the Declaration of Independence. Hillsdale's motto is pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844, and it will continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more at levinforhillsdale.com. L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Levin for Hillsdale.com. By the way, anyone who disagrees with me on this is free to call and debate me. More than happy. It's very difficult to get people on here to debate, perfectly honest. But whether they be professor, former federal prosecutor, or reporter, I'm more than happy to do it. And... Uh, On a completely different subject, I posted, I believe it was earlier this evening, a link to the Lost Dog and Cat Rescue Foundation. There are others out there, too, but that's the one I'm associated with. That's where I got Barney. And uh, this is our biggest charity. And we barely, uh, we barely tap the, uh, the surface. And we do everything we can, I feel like we can do more, but we do, to get as many dogs out of these kill shelters in these uh, ravaged areas as possible, and to get them into foster homes and to get them adopted. And once I retire from behind the microphone and behind the TV camera, that will be my life's focus. It just is what it is. I'll be right back. Hillsdale College serves four purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Education and faith thrive in freedom, and freedom requires educated people and people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale College has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for over 175 years, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide through its free online courses and through its support of classical K-12 charter schools. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating way back to 1844, commit to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. The learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God as described in the Declaration of Independence. Hillsdale's motto is pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844, and it will continue to fight to live up to that motto, Come what may. Learn more at levinforhillsdale.com. L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Levinforhillsdale.com. 
Mark Levin, tough as hell. That's why I like Mark Levin. And I'm not sure a lot of people like him. He's tough as hell. But I like him. I love him. Call in now. 877-381-3811. Conspiracy theories. Our friend Turley says, who has really no information. All this reporting on Dominion voting systems prior to the election by left-wing news outlets, concerns by left-wing senators, all silenced. Now it's conspiracy theories. The the Atlantic Journal-Constitution. Last time I checked, they're in Georgia. The selection this week of a $107 million electronic voting system that combines familiar touchscreen machines with paper ballots was a big step for a state that continues to face criticism and legal challenges over its handling of the 2018 election. Yeah, right. That involves, of course, Stacey Abrams. But critics say the system will be vulnerable to hacking and getting the machines ready in time for the statewide presidential primary march won't be easy. It goes on and on. They're not the only, on, the only ones. I told you this recently and I played it for you. It's October 26. PBS did a whole seven minute, eight minute segment on it. USA Today. Will your ballot be safe? Computer experts sound warnings on America's voting machines. Must be kooks over there. Huffington Post, left wing. The black box voting machines, computer vote tampering and vote counting irregularities. Now you know damn well. If Biden were in the position of Trump and Trump was in the position of Biden, they would be accusing Trump and the Republicans of doing all these things. Of doing all these things. And the commentators on TV, including my favorite cable network and all the rest, would be sounding quite differently. All the, all the instances of fraud, they wouldn't dismiss them. No, we have uh, congressional Democrats raise security concerns about Dominion and other voting machine companies. I told you about this yesterday at Just the News, John Solomon's outstanding site. And they quote them. They wrote multiple letters. I quoted them to you yesterday. Huffington Post, exclusive on the heels of Diebold Premier Purchase. Canadian e-voting firm Dominion also acquires Sequoia. Lies about Chavez ties and announcement. Wow, that must be a conspiracy. Not a conspiracy, it's fact. And we hear nothing anymore about the intervention in our elections by the Russians or the Chinese or the Iranians or the North Koreans. It's silent. It's the most perfect election in American history, despite the fact we have massive mail-in voting. Like we've never seen before. Which in 2005, the Carter-James Baker Commission said is the most serious area where fraud occurs. No fraud, ladies and gentlemen. None. I know because they told me on TV it's okay. It's not a big deal. This isn't news that we're getting. It's commentary dressed up as news. And then during the break, I'm watching this guy, Trey Yinkst. I think it's Y-I-N-G-S-T, who's in the Middle East, Fox, I believe. I never met the man, but I've been watching his reporting. And of course, he's very pro-Palestinian, like almost all the rest of the media. The New York Times, Washington Post, and so forth. You may not know this, but the Secretary of State, this is a remarkable man. He's a great man. He's in the Middle East. He's in Israel. 
And he decided, I'm going to go into Samaria, you know, Judea and Samaria. This is the, the historic center of the Jewish people. So, of course, Yingst calls it the West Bank. He's never going to call it by its historic name. The West Bank, a name that was given to it by the Jordanian government because it was, quote-unquote, the West Bank of Jordan. And they keep calling it that. Then he tells us of these international decisions, that these areas are considered Palestinian, or these areas are considered uh, in dispute. They're not in dispute. Israel's not giving them away, ever. Palestinians have no claim to them. Not in the Bible, not anywhere. It's amazing, all over the world, indigenous people, indigenous, even in our own country, we talk about indigenous people, who have rights and, and we view them as victims. In the case of the Jews, they're viewed as the provocateurs. Now, if these areas that are considered, see, you see, Trey, I, I actually know the Oslo Accords and all the rest. This area that Pompeo visited is not in dispute. The Palestinians have portions of Judea and Samaria, huge portions. Then there's sort of no-go areas where sort of both sides, at least in past agreements, have no claim. And then there's the Jewish areas. And so Pompeo visited the Jewish areas, and this guy, Trey Yinks, basically said, these areas are in dispute, according to the international you know, law, international groups. What kind, of, what kind of nonsense is that? So Pompeo visits a winery there, the Sagat Winery which sells wine in our own country. It's very controversial, he says. No Secretary of State has ever done it. That's why he's a great man. Visited a winery in the West Bank, he was said to have done. Did something else extremely controversial, ladies and gentlemen. What did he do? He said, for now on, products shipped from Judea and Samaria by Jews... Will be, will be labeled products from the state of Israel, not from, you know, occupied territory, the West Bank, or however they wish to put it. That was said to be very, very controversial as well. Not only that, Pompeo announced that, look, we have these BDS movements that these anti-Semitic movements by these so-called nonprofit and other organizations, and as far as I'm concerned, Pompeo says, we've had it with this anti-Semitism. Any organization that is involved in this anti-Semitic movement, uh, we're going to make sure that they don't get funding of any kind from the federal government, the United States government. That was said to be controversial, too. By Trey Yingst. I know nothing about Trey Yingst. Except he's highly... highly partisan in the way that he reports... I was going to say something else, but I'll be restrained. Highly partisan. It was very painful to watch. But watch I did. I have a question. With the flick of a switch, all the concerns about the Dominion voting system are gone now. Now we have reports 
by reporters, Axios, which is a left-wing site, and others, telling us how the Trump team's pathway is non-existent, how the Trump team is this. Do you know what this is all aimed at, ladies and gentlemen? The judges. The media are trying to influence the judges, particularly on the U.S. Supreme Court with a case that's pending there. That's what they're doing. They're also trying to influence the outcome of the Georgia election for the two Senate seats. They don't want anything really dug into there. And they want to influence the outcome of the 2024 presidential race. There's no evidence of fraud or violations of the Constitution. Why should we change anything? People don't want to sign their ballots or forget or if they sign and they don't really match with the signature they gave before, or they fail to get a postal stamp so we see that the vote came in on time, what's the problem? There's no evidence of fraud because they've taken fraud and they've institutionalized it. They've enshrined it. That's what they've done. No evidence of fraud here. It's all so legal. It's, it's also Alice in Wonderland. And yet, as is pointed out at Town Hall by Guy Benson, yes, Democrats and media are hypocrites on Stacey Abrams and the sanctity of accepting election results. And Mary Catherine Hamm, in what is now a famous television clip on CNN, handed these fools their lunch. It says here, her margin of loss to Republican Brian Kemp in Georgia was 54,723. Substantially larger than, he says, Joe Biden's lead over Donald Trump in Arizona, Georgia, and Wisconsin combined. If those three states had voted slightly differently with all else equal, the Electoral College would have been deadlocked at 269. And the Democrat Party and the media have continued to promote the lie that Stacey Abrams actually won and the vote was stolen from her. Where's the evidence for that? 54,723 votes. They can take the margin in Arizona, Georgia, and Wisconsin combined. That's over 45,000 votes. Rather than recoiling in horror at her continual refusal to concede a race she lost, Abrams' party immediate cheering section has handsomely rewarded her behavior. Democrats elevated her stature by selecting her as their official responder to the subsequent State of the Union address. Donors have showered her organizations and various initiatives with mounds of cash. She's been given glossy, glowing treatment, an endless string of magazine covers, uh, covers and fawning interviews. She's been feted by celebrities and turned into a Hollywood film producer. She's been empowered, enriched, and emboldened. Losing an election and refusing to concede in her case has made her famous and influential. And her shameless undermining of democracy is paid off in spades. Her profile has never been higher, to the point that she vaulted onto many analyst vice presidential shortlists, having only held office as a state representative. But mentioning any of this, even as Abrams is being glorified by the news media as a heroine for democracy, literally, as that same news media is aghast by Trump's lack of concession, is a bridge too far for the media. This is why you hate the media. 
And this is why reporters would do well to try and actually report. There are more stories about this Dominion voting system that liberal Democrats, that governments, that others, experts, news organizations were very, very concerned about. But it's a, it just it worked so perfectly, Mr. Producer. There's no need for transparency, no need to get a hold of any of the software, no need to check any of it. No, no, no. It's a conspiracy theory. I know I heard it from a professor on television. There's no evidence of anything. I know I heard it from a former federal prosecutor. The, the entire press conference by Giuliani and the others was a complete fraud. No credible uh, explanation of a path. They didn't reveal enough uh, a fraud. Um, they didn't talk about the court cases that have been overturned. I heard this from about a 23-year-old reporter. So just roll it up. No canvassing, no recounts, no litigation, no constitutional challenges. And we'll just deal with it in two years and in four years. Right, America? Will that make you happy? No, it would infuriate you. For good reason. Three and a half years of this Russia hoax bullcrap. And now, where's the evidence? Where's the evidence? Where the, you've got hundreds of affidavits involving hundreds and hundreds of examples of fraud. Well, it doesn't add up. Look how they keep moving the P in the shell game. No evidence? Not enough evidence. Where's the evidence? The same people who pushed the Russia hoax when there was no evidence. Day in and day out. Day in and day out. Day in and day out. Legal analysts. Former federal prosecutors. Former Justice Department officials telling us how serious this is. When there was nothing... We have signed sworn affidavits under penalty of perjury in civil actions, not criminal actions, civil actions. And this is the crap we get. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Hillsdale College serves four purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Education and faith thrive in freedom, and freedom requires educated people and people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale College has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for over 175 years, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide through its free online courses and through its support of classical K-12 charter schools. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating way back to 1844, commit to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. The learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God as described in the Declaration of Independence. Hillsdale's motto is pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844, and it will continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more at levinforhillsdale.com. L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Levin for Hillsdale.com. Scheduled to be on this Sunday's Life, Liberty, and Levin. Rudy Giuliani for the first half of the program. Victor Davis Hanson the second half. You're not going to want to miss this show. You're not going to want to miss this show. In my humble opinion, 8 p.m. Eastern as always. Sunday, if you can't watch it live, you can always 
DVR it. The following weekend, there is no live show. It's Thanksgiving weekend, and the holidays will be coming. So I hope you'll watch this. You can uh, set your record now, 8 p.m. Eastern. It'll be Rudy Giuliani for the first half, Victor Davis Hanson for the second half. That's the schedule, and me for all of it. Ooh. Breitbart, Republican canvassers rescind their votes to certify Wayne County, Michigan results. These two, these two Republican canvassers were viciously attacked as racist. They were threatened. They were intimidated. The woman, her child was threatened. And so they buckled. And then later they thought about it and they said, no, we're not going to give in to this. So they rescinded it. That should be a headline everywhere in this country. But they laugh at them. Trump campaign lawyer under protection from threats of harm. This is a single lawyer practitioner who was involved in that case in Pennsylvania. That's why Rudy had a fly in, among other reasons. She was threatened. She's now protected by the United States Marshals, among others, because she represented the Trump campaign in court, or was supposed to. I've heard nothing about this from the big media, from big tech. Nothing. Where we have lawyers and law firms now being intimidated and threatened. This is disgusting. Waiting for John Turley and Andy McCarthy and Kristen Fisher and this guy in the Middle East, Trey Yinks, maybe others. Maybe they'll comment on that. Maybe not. I, I, this is very perplexing to me. We had the FBI director, Ray, and the head of this cybersecurity group, whatever that is, Warn us that the Russians were trying to sway the election for, for uh, Joe Biden and the Chinese were trying, excuse me, for Donald Trump and the Chinese were trying to sway it for Trump. Uh, uh, for Chinese were trying to sway it for Biden. Russians for Trump. That's what they all said. Now we're told it's a fanciful conspiracy theory to even think they tried. What are they talking about? What are they talking about? Again, it's like a light switch, on and off. So the Russians didn't do anything? The Chinese didn't do anything? The Dominion voting system, which was attacked by at least two dozen different entities, members of Congress, security experts, some, uh, some experts in colleges, as well as, uh, as well as media organizations, now that's a conspiracy theory too? I'm telling you, you got to give credit to these lawyers. They're putting their necks on the line and they're being trashed, stabbed in the back at the same time. The media in this country are sickening. And there's a growing level of sickening media personalities out there. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. I'm Mark Levin. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. You know, one of my favorite senators, actually one of my favorite public officials, has become Tom Cotton. He has the guts to state the truth. That's all he does. He states the truth, whether it's about history, whether it's about China, whether it's about trade. And he comes under vicious attack. 
you know, for saying things that 10 years ago you would say it wasn't a big deal. Senator, how are you? I'm doing great, Mark. I hope you're doing well. You know, sometimes I feel like when I speak the truth and get attacked by the woke left, all I'm doing is saying what people here in Arkansas think is common sense. And a lot of the country, I'll tell you the truth. Um, you go to the Senate floor, you give a speech about 1620 and the pilgrims, and you say, this is the beginning of the real history of America. You're attacked by the same leftist forces that came up with the 1619 uh, crapola, and you've been attacked for this. What's going on exactly? Yeah, so, Mark, first off, I just want to point out that I think it's very sad that we're coming up Saturday on the 400th anniversary of the Pilgrims Landing in 1620 and the 400th anniversary of the Mayflower Compact, the very first constitution in America. You know, 200 years ago, this is a huge celebration. 100 years ago, it was a huge celebration with recently uh, elected Vice President-elect Calvin Coolidge. Yet here we are, and, uh, you know, where are the parades? Where are the commemorations? Where are the celebrations? I, I think it's a pretty sad commentary on the sense that so many people uh, have, you know, the, the indoctrination that we've had that this is somehow a bad thing. Uh, it's a good thing. It's a great thing. The pilgrims left the old world seeking religious freedom. They came here. They braved the North Atlantic. They braved the harsh winter. They made peace with the local Indian tribe, the Wampanoags. That peace lasted for 50 years. They bequeathed to us the principles of the Mayflower Compact, so much so that so much of what we can see in our own Declaration Constitution, the equality of all mankind uh, from one uh, or from many one, uh, equality before the law and the equal and impartial administration of the law. And I wanted to celebrate that legacy and point out that we should be proud of it. Uh, we shouldn't subscribe to the revisionist charlatans who wrote the 1619 Project. And, and just yesterday, Mark, the New York Times in the food section of all places called the Thanksgiving and Pilgrim story a myth and a caricature, uh, which I think is very, very sad and rejected by the vast majority of Americans who are proud of our heritage. You know, Senator, you fought for this country. You have committed your life to public service. You watch this. Forget about being in the Senate. You watch this as a, as a, as a human being, as, as an American citizen. You know how you were brought up, what your beliefs were. I watch it, too. This is, this is like these neo-Marxists come in. They want to destroy any belief system we have in the greatness of this country. They want to rewrite American history. And this is ubiquitous now, isn't it? Mark, it certainly would seem ubiquitous if you uh, follow social media or you watch the mainstream media or Hollywood or Silicon Valley. But I got to tell you, we just had an election in which the woke left was repudiated. Americans are proud of our country. They don't want radical Marxists in charge controlling what our children can learn or what we can say about our history. We should be proud of what happened 400 years ago this Saturday. And our, our children should learn it, and they should be proud of it as well. And, you know, I don't really care how many radical Democratic uh, politicians attack me or how many trolls on social media with their blue check marks from New York and Hollywood and Silicon Valley don't like it. They are a small and tiny, if vocal, minority. And I will be the voice for that large majority out there who is proud of America and wants to defend America. I think you make a good point. The only problem is in the culture, it's not a matter of the vote. And when you look at our universities and colleges, when you look at now how, what's seeping into our government schools, when you look at entertainment and so forth and so on, it's very, it's very dark very bleak all the heroes are fighting against the united states and 
systemic racism and on and on and on. We have to figure out how to get back into the culture and, do, and, and, and duke it out, don't we? Yeah, Mark, it's really important. You know, it reminds me of a political cartoon I saw the other day with two moms sitting on a bench while their kids played uh, in the playground behind them. And one of the moms said, you know, I'm really worried about sending Johnny back to school. And the other mom said, Is because of the virus? And the first mom said, no, because of the indoctrination. Yeah, exactly. You know, we, have to, we have to realize <laughs> that too often in our schools, but especially our universities, our children are being indoctrinated. That story yesterday in the New York Times mm-hmm. talked about some professor who taught the real story of Thanksgiving and sent her kids home for Thanksgiving break in the past. She said, yeah, we have a saying for it. It's the Thanksgiving massacre. We teach these uh, young students what really happened in Thanksgiving, what the real story of the pilgrims are. And they go home, and they tell their parents and their grandparents about that. And let's just say it goes over with a thud. Well, it should go over with, with a thud. We should be teaching our children to be proud of our heritage. We should teach them to celebrate what happened in 1620, just like the pilgrims and the Wampanoag tribe celebrated a year later in 1621 for the first Thanksgiving. A couple other questions, Senator. These these Georgia Senate races, uh, which are so damn crucial, uh, how do you think that's going, or do you know? Well, uh, Mark, I was just in Georgia campaigning today with David Perdue and Kelly Leffler just outside Robbins Air Force Base. I thought it was a perfectly appropriate place because you got Raphael Warnock who says you can't worship God and serve in the military. you got John Ossoff who wants to cut the budgets of the military radically. Um, and I don't think that people of Georgia go for that. You know, it's a rare thing to know that your vote might determine control of the United States Senate. Uh, most of the time, you go into an election, you don't know how the rest of the country is going to vote. But the people of Georgia have seemed to have it reserved to them to determine the fate of this nation over the next two years. I got to tell you, there's huge crowds and great energy. Obviously, the Democrats are working overtime uh, to try to win this election on January 5th. But uh, we got so many people working hard, and I just encourage all your listeners to go online to georgiabattleground.com and find out how they can help out as well. Senator, I happen to be one of those who's very concerned about what happened in this presidential election. We have this guy, Mark Elias, who was behind the dossier, who used to be a uh, Harry Reid kind of legal hitman who who turned that Senate seat from uh, from Coleman to Franklin um, and who was leading this effort in many states, particularly the battleground states, with surrogate groups, with the Democrat Party, with the Biden campaign to change the rules, and they succeeded in many states. They either targeted uh, the legislatures that were Democrat, or they targeted the governor and targeted these courts like they have in Pennsylvania, and there were significant changes made, really, right up to to, uh, two months before the election, when you look at Nevada and so forth. And I'm watching this stuff, and uh, so there are constitutional issues under the Equal Protection Clause, under Article 2, who gets to make these laws. You see Rudy today, and, and many people, including my wife, are working on these cases. They have hundreds and hundreds of affidavits, and all we hear is, well, it's not enough to deliver victory. Shouldn't we find out what the hell took place in these different states where numbers are starting to show up, like in Georgia, or in the case of Pennsylvania, where the politics of that road court, just, just as the Florida road court in 2000, are so obvious. Don't we need to fix this going forward? Yeah, so, Mark, first off, we absolutely should get to the bottom of what happened uh, in Georgia, in Nevada, in Arizona, in Pennsylvania, and other states. The president has a right to have a fair and open counting of every legal ballot and make sure that no illegal ballots are counting. 
Uh, we'll see what the resolution of that. That's really out of the hands of, of politicians at this point. It's in the hands of lawyers and the president's lawyers in particular. Uh, but going forward, yes, we need to make sure that our elections have integrity, that you don't have the kind of last-minute changes, that you don't have systems that are susceptible to fraud, like universal mail-out balloting with ballot harvesting, which is essentially the end of the sanctity of the, of the secret yes. ballot. If, you, if everyone knows that you've got a ballot in your home, someone can just show up at your house and say, hey, I want to collect your ballot. You have no idea who they are. That can be a very intimidating, very tense kind of moment. People should be able to cast their ballots in the sanctity of the voting booth, that that's what they choose. That's why it's so important that we win those elections in Georgia, because we cannot have Nancy Pelosi's crazy voting law voiced upon this country that would mandate, mandate nationwide mail-out balloting and allow ballot harvesting without so much as signature verification. Not... Uh, not to say even photo identification. Now, you bring up signature verification. This is one of the problems, big problem in Pennsylvania, but in Georgia, when you have the Secretary of State who, behind the scenes with this Mark Elias, basically, signs a an agreement that weakens the necessity for signatures, and the state legislature had nothing to do with it. They had They had no knowledge of this. And, and I'm thinking to myself, well, if that's not a violation of Article 2, there is no violation of Article 2. A Secretary of State can't sign an agreement that rearranges a key factor in the election laws like that. That's one of the things Lynn Wood is challenging, by the way. Yeah, Mark, well, as you know, consent decrees have been abused by the left for many, many years, so-called sue-and-settle cases where you get exactly. favorable officials or officials that just want bad, don't want bad publicity, and they purport to make public policy by entering into a consent decree settlement with the left. Uh, it's happened in this context. It's happened in so many other contexts, environmental law and so forth. Uh, that is an area that is right for the Supreme Court to review to make sure that, in fact, it's the people's elected representatives through the political processes making these laws, not left-wing activists who are suing in court. All right, Senator, we appreciate all you're doing, and uh, I think uh, I think the entire audience here, except for a few out there who are kind of listening in, uh, agree with you and appreciate what you're doing. So take care of yourself. Hey, well, thank you very much, Mark. And to all of your listeners, let me wish you a happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> and let me say, God bless the memory of the pilgrims of 1620, our pilgrim fathers. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Take care, sir. And we will be right back. Mark Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Rudy Giuliani today, 
I was in an airplane, so I didn't get to listen, but I listened after the fact. So I want you to hear some of this. Here he is today at the press conference. Cut 23. Go. So, for example, the recount being done in Georgia will tell us nothing because these fraudulent ballots will just be counted again because they wouldn't supply the signatures to match the ballots. So it means nothing to have counted these ballots because, for example, in Pennsylvania, where we have probably our most precise evidence, 682,770 of these ballots were cast, put in, and they weren't inspected, which renders them uh, ballots that are null and void, cannot be counted, have to be removed from the, from the vote. Now, let's stop there. You don't have to be a lawyer to figure this out. So we have lawyers on TV telling you that what they're alleging in Pennsylvania, the Trump team, uh, will only amount to a 10,000 vote change, which, of course, relates to the a separate constitutional challenge. Here, Rudy Giuliani is saying, because we didn't have an opportunity to inspect these ballots, that, that affects 682,607 ballots. Now, the federal district judge, the Obama appointee in this case, has said, what do you want me to do, throw out all those ballots? So you can see why you might be confused or why you're getting contradictory uh, input. So-called experts on TV telling you none of this will add up, and a federal judge saying, wow, you want me to throw all these ballots out? So this is why the process must proceed. And the spitballers on the sidelines are meaningless, utterly meaningless. They were meaningless through the Russia hoax stuff, folks. They were meaningless through the impeachment. And they're meaningless today. And there's speculation now. The president's going to meet with the, uh, the, the leaders of the Michigan legislature. They're going, well, is he going to pressure them to appoint their own slate of electors? Maybe, maybe not. But why is that even news? We have no idea. Let's continue, please. Why? For several reasons, not the least of which is that was basically only one of two places in the state where it was done. So in the other parts of the state, there was a legitimate inspection of the ballots. So if you have two different standards in different parts of the state, one favoring one part of the state, the other disfavoring the other part of the state, that's a classic violation of the Equal Protection Clause of the United States Constitution. Uh, Bush v. Gore being the most recent case that, uh, that, that teaches that. That is a perfectly legitimate and substantive argument. I don't know what the judge will do. These judges might be very nervous. But from a plaintiff's perspective, that is a perfectly legitimate argument. It's a strong argument. Again, we can speculate, well, will a judge actually do that? And in this case, the judge, you know, his eyeballs popped out of his head like, whoa, you want me to, uh, to eliminate a, a, almost 700,000 ballots and so forth? Again, which contradicts what you're hearing on TV. There's, uh, there's no way to get cats up here. No way. It's less than possible. Rudy Giuliani, cut 24, go. That's not the only fraud that went on in Pennsylvania. All of the other frauds carried out in the other states by the Democrat uh, bosses uh, happened there as well. For example, if you've made a mistake in that ballot and you lived in Philadelphia or in Pittsburgh, uh, you were allowed to fix the mistake. But if you lived in the what would be considered more 
Republican or Trump part, parts of the state, you were given no such uh, right. One of our plaintiffs, Mr. Henry, cast a absentee ballot, and he failed to put it in the secure envelope inside. He just put it in open, naked. That ballot was cast aside because it was invalid, because that breaks the um, privacy of the, of, of the vote. In Pittsburgh and in Philadelphia, if they noticed that there wasn't an inner envelope, they'd contact the voter and allow him to vote again. Or if he didn't fill it out completely, or if he made a mistake and didn't sign his full name, he was allowed to cure it. There is no such provision under the law of Pennsylvania. The Democrat Secretary of State made that up in order to maximize the votes in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh and to minimize the votes in the other parts of the state. Clearly illegal, clearly voter fraud, easily provable, hundreds of witnesses, maybe thousands. Mr. Mitchell, isn't that a strong argument? But you, you don't even hear this on television or radio. You don't even hear it. You get some 25-year-old who comes in and says, and they didn't even give evidence of broad fraud or anything like that. Well, what is this? Or no matter how you add it up, they can't get there. That may wind up being the result. We can't predict in advance what judges are going to do. Maybe they'll shut it down. They shouldn't. So if you're representing the campaign and the president, why would you drop these cases? And what's going to happen next time? Once, say, a Bush-like candidate is... I notice all the former Bush staffers on TV are all buckling now. Have you noticed that, Mr. Producer? Like the Karl Roves of the world and others? They're all buckling now. And, you know, there's no way. <laughs> These guys that fought to the dirty end in Florida. To the dirty end in Florida. Now, I want you to hear a little bit more. We have a couple more cuts of Rudy Giuliani. Those of us, those of you, including me, who weren't able to watch the news conference, it was a, it was extremely impressive because I went back. Extremely impressive, and yet they're mocked. They're mocked. Stacey Abrams isn't mocked. She's a conquering hero for being a buffoon. On the Democrat side, they run with their hoaxes left and right. They're not mocked. Here you have a real prosecutor, a real lawyer with real cases. And he's mocked. I'll be right back. Mark Levin, America's mentor of conservatism. Call now at 877-381-3811. According to a recent survey, 51% of U.S. adults believe the COVID-19 economy is worse than the Great Recession. Now, whether it's job loss or helping your adult children financially or anything else... These obviously are stressful times. We need to be smart with our money and with our budget. We need to do what we can uh, to protect what is ours, including our homes. So if you're a homeowner who's not taking the advantage of this historical low interest rates, you really need to do something about it now. Call American Financing. They're the best by every measurement. They treat you like adults. They treat you with respect. They want your business, but they're not going to pressure you. They're not going to throw a bunch of numbers at you. They'll have a conversation with you. What, what is it that you want to do? What do you think you need? And let's see if we can work this out. 
You get a free mortgage review that I've been telling you about. No obligation, no pressure, no upfront or hidden fees. Just a simple conversation around which loan program may be better fit for you and your family. Because rates are incredibly low and chances are you can benefit from them. So call American Financing now. See if you can save up to $1,000 a month. Now think about that. Save 10 years left. $1,000 a month over 10 years is a lot of money. Let's say you want to just extend it to a 30-year. Still a ton of money. Even more. So call American Financing now. 888-900-1828. 888-900-1828. That's 888-900-1828. Or you can go on the internet and visit them at AmericanFinancing.net. American Financing, NMLS, 182334, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Rudy Giuliani, again at today's press conference. Cut 25, go. Jesse Jacob is an adult citizen and a resident of the state of Michigan. She's been an employee of the city of Detroit for decades. I know her age, but she, she can tell you her age. She was... Um, she was assigned to uh, voting duties in September, and she was trained by the city of Detroit and the state of Michigan. She was basically trained to cheat. She said that um, I was instructed by my su- supervisor to adjust the mailing date of these absentee ballot packages to be dated earlier than when they were actually sent in. The supervisor made that announcement for all workers to engage in that fraudulent practice. That's not me saying that. That's just American citizens saying that under oath. I don't know. Maybe you could say she's lying. But you can't say there's no evidence. This is what we call evidence. This is direct evidence. Not circumstantial. I tried many, many cases, as did all my colleagues here. You put a witness on a witness stand, witnesses testifying to their own knowledge. This witness goes on the witness stand and she will say, I was told to adjust the date on the absentee ballots. I witnessed election workers and employees going over to the voting booths with voters in order to watch them vote and coach them for whom to vote. Completely illegal. She will testify to that. Now, folks, isn't that important? How many people were trained? We don't know. How many people had their votes impacted by this? We don't know. And isn't that the point? A judge should want to know. A judge should want to know. If a judge is in receipt of a complaint that includes an affidavit or more than one that makes an allegation of this kind of systemic fraud, and that's what this is, the judge shouldn't shut that down. The judge should want to know. The press should want to know. Rather than sitting back in Washington or Manhattan and playing beanbag. Now, the reporter today that I was talking about earlier said there was no evidence presented. There was no evidence. (laughs) I don't know what they expect when they were part of the Russia collusion hoax, and now they say there's no evidence. Did we get one affidavit from anybody on Russia collusion, Mr. Producer? Just one. One sworn affidavit under penalty of perjury presented to a court anywhere in the United States. Just one. 
the president in Georgia is behind by less than 14,000 votes. This is Detroit. I got it. But the spread's very close there, too. So all this matters. Cut 26, go. Then she was instructed by my supervisor not to ask for a driver's license or any photo ID when a person was trying to vote. Don't ask for identification. Why would you not ask for identification? Because you knew that a lot of people not entitled to vote were going to come in and early vote. Because you knew that illegal immigrants were going to be allowed to vote. You knew, if you lived in Philadelphia, unless you're do not, that's an Italian expression for stupid. <laughs> unless you're stupid, you knew that a lot of people were coming over from Camden to vote. They do every year. Happens all the time in Philly. It's about as frequent as getting beaten up at a Philadelphia Eagle basketball, uh, football game. Jeez. Happens all the time. All the time. And it's allowed to happen because it is a Democrat, corrupt city. And has been for years. Many, many years. And they carried it out in places they could get away with it. And he's right, it's corrupt. I can't tell you how many people have been charged and found guilty of various election law violations. Remember that congressman, I forget his name. He got caught up in the abs gang case. I think his name was Smith. Many of you are too young to remember. Money talks and BS walks. That was his famous line. He's caught on film, was prosecuted, went to prison. A lot of that goes on in Philadelphia. A lot of it. And everybody knows it. Where's the evidence? Where's the evidence? I've been spending weeks explaining how reporters used to report on this sort of stuff. How they used to lead the effort to find out what's going on. Old day reporters, local reporters, they would grab some of these affidavits that are now in, uh, in court records. Or that ask for affidavits from a Rudy Giuliani and so forth. They would talk to the person and then they would see the extent to which this took place. Now they say, well, that doesn't prove it. I mean, where are the numbers? Where are the numbers? No numbers, you know, doesn't add up. Can't win. Now what's with Trump? Is he a dictator? Come on now. Asa Hutchison says it's over. Let's go. Oh, well, if Asa Hutchison says it's over, it must be over, I guess. And then we're told to forget everything you know that took place in the last so-called transition. It's a great piece. There's always great pieces by Molly Hemingway at the great website, The Federalist, one of my favorite. She said, a prominent liberal legal academic who spent the last four years pushing outrageous, discredited, and debunked conspiracy theories about Donald Trump stealing the 2016 election said on Fox News Sunday, and why would he be on Fox News Sunday, by the way? The refusal to accept the legitimacy of the 2020 presidential election threatens the country. Who is he? Harvard Law professor, I guess he's retired, Lawrence Tribe. Lawrence Tribe has turned out to be a crackpot, in my humble opinion. He's undermining democracy because there are millions of people who will believe him, even though there's nothing to his arguments and no evidence to back it up. No evidence to back it up? Our friend, Washington Examiner's executive editor Phil Klein wrote, the precedent the Republicans are establishing is that nobody should concede until they've exhausted weeks of legal options 
They cannot change the outcome and until the Electoral College formally votes. They're not going to like this president the next time they win. No, we're not. On the other hand, Phil, and I like Phil, your tweet should talk about why we're here and how we got here. What took place in the States over the last year or two, which unfortunately you and your paper really didn't cover. And that's why there's challenges. Leaving apart the question begging about what the results of litigation will be, writes Hemingway, readers were aghast that Klein seemed to completely forget the four long years Democrats and other anti-Trump activists spent refusing to acknowledge the legitimacy of Trump's presidency. And that, of course, is true as well. Commentary Magazine's associate editor, Noah Rothman, opined, and I'm glad she's using names. I've been using names all along here, too. Of course, candidates routinely go to court in election disputes, including presidential candidates in 2000, 04, and 016. As for the outlandish claim that there's no analog to a few weeks of litigation, it's perhaps worth noting that Rothman helped contribute to the Russia collusion hoax at a time conservative readers were desperate for assistance in fighting that false narrative. No conspiracy theories of recent vintage have damaged the country as much as the ones Tribe and many other anti-Trump media figures trafficked in each and every day of the last four years from prominent perches in politics, media, and the academy. If taking claims to court undermines democracy, how to defend Tribe's vociferous and repeated claims that Trump stole the election in 2016 with the help of Russia? And she lays it out here, chapter and verse, so what a kook. Lawrence Tribe actually is. And yet he goes on news shows. News shows. It's just point after point after point of what he's tweeted, of what he said. I mean, a crackpot. And she says, all these things may sound like the rantings of a madman. But Tribe is a very important figure to the left. And his claims about Trump and Russia and obstruction became blueprints for the special counsel's years-long effort to get Trump impeached for something, anything. Politico describes him as President Barack Obama's mentor. He's well known for inventing the practice of borking. To bork is to attack or defeat a nominee. He's a nasty piece of work, this punk. And so what's happening now is you're hearing the mantra, as the media always does. Where's the evidence? What's the legal pathway? That's not credible. What is Trump doing? You're hearing it from friend and foe alike. But not from me. I'll be right back. Lovin. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, and I've talked about it before, but it's worth underscoring. Whenever we had a so-called government shutdown of about 17 actual percent of the government, they were telling you you're not going to get your check in the mail, the parks won't be open, you know, all the horrors that are going to occur. Most of them were flat-out lies. That government employees aren't being paid, although they're always paid when the, when the shutdown so-called is over. And yet when the economy is shut down in significant part... You don't get the same concerns. And why is that? Because the media, the bureaucracy, the public sector unions, they're all one and the same. They're all Democrats. I am really quite shocked at the fact that parents in this country aren't rising up, aren't marching, 
aren't demanding to take their classrooms and their schools back, and they're putting up with these thug teachers' unions. And Joe Biden doesn't want you to have any options because he says we're not going to spend any money on any non-government-run schools in government facilities, period. And he's talking about naming one of the most radical union bosses uh, out of New York, the AFT. He's talking about, if should he be president, putting her in charge of the Department of Education. That's pretty shocking. This Randy Weigarten. He's got lobbyists. He's got uh, all these, uh, these corporate types and so forth. This is why these corporations are not conservative. We don't need to defend corporatists. Even in media, these corporatists are quite left-wing. You should go online and it's public and look at their contributions. Virtually no media organization is run by conservatives. And not even people who are apolitical. They're run by activists who support the BLM movement, who give money to Hillary Clinton, who hate Donald Trump. They don't believe in capitalism. They don't believe in competition. They're corporatists. That's what I've been calling them all these years. Handful of exceptions. It's always a handful of exceptions, and unfortunately we're always in the handful and not the rule. I, 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 I don't even want to imagine what's going to happen to this generation of children. Their social skills, what's going on in the homes, particularly special ed type kids, how the, the, the setbacks. You and I, we as a country, we have invested hundreds and hundreds of billions into the trillions by now into government schools into special facilities, special learning for the mentally and physically handicapped. It, it is outrageous what's taking place here. And the fact that the parents in this country and the grandparents haven't risen up and said, give us our damn schools and our buildings back. We'll get teachers to fill in there. They don't have to be members of a unit. It's just shocking to me what we're willing to put up with in this country. With the government telling us to wear masks in our own homes? We have the CDC telling us, don't travel on Thanksgiving? Who the F do these fools think they are? Whenever they tell me not to do something, I do it. So I'm going to drive five hours on Wednesday to go to Thanksgiving. And no, I'm not wearing a mask with my family. So stick it. Where was I? After eight months of the cruise industry being shut down. The CDC has issued guidelines on how cruise lines can get up and running again while protecting their guests from COVID. It's the latest recognition that the answer to this virus can't be to just shut everything down. One way you can start taking back control of your life is to plan a trip. And my friends at the Media Research Center have the perfect one for you. They're going on a seven-day Caribbean cruise in late February. And you can get all the details at mrccruise.com. Or call 888-MRC-TRIP. They're open right now. Over 100 people have already signed up, many from this audience. They have a great group of speakers lined up, including MRC President Brent Bozell, actor Dean Cain, former senator and presidential candidate Rick Santorum, Fox News contributor Charlie Hunt, syndicated columnist Cal Thomas, Breitbart co-founder Larry Solov, and on and on. You can see the full lineup at mrccruise.com. Think about how nice P 
peaceful, relaxing it will be to finally get away in late February. And how much there will be to talk about. Just go to mrccruise.com or call 888-MRC-TRIP. You know, in the next time I'm going to spend time on this, these vaccines. On these vaccines, how the impossible was achieved. You know, oddly enough, and in some ways, not every way, this is akin to what happened to Churchill, what's happening to Donald Trump. Churchill leads his country through World War II. The only one who could. The only one who could. In many ways, he was a controversial figure. In many ways, early in his career, he was a failure. He fought back. In many ways, he was provocative. The establishment hated his guts, including the establishment Tory party. And then after World War II, you know what they did, Mr. Producer? They voted him out. For a socialist. They wanted national health care. He opposed it. They voted Churchill out. With a historic president of the United States, who's achieved so many magnificent things for the people of this country. And it's due to his background and his skills and his tenacity. He's not part of the establishment that he cut the red tape with Operation Warp Speed. He put together the best team you possibly could, minus Fauci. And in 10 months, not one but two vaccines that are going to be distributed within weeks? There's not another political figure, there's not another figure, period, who could have achieved that. And then we vote them out. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, NBC News. When was this, Mr. Why does my printer cut off the original dates of these things? Fact check. Trump needs a miracle to be right about Rosie vaccine timeline experts. I think this is back in May. My memory serves. I was right. May 15th, 2020. Quasi-photographic memory. Not perfect. President Donald Trump has suggested multiple times that a coronavirus vaccine could come within months, an accelerated timeline that prominent health experts and veteran vaccine developers say is unlikely absent a miracle. Quote, we're looking to get it by the end of the year if we can, maybe before, Trump said Friday during a Rose Garden event centered on his administration's efforts to fast track a vaccine again May 15th. Think we're going to have a vaccine by the end of the year, he told reporters later in the day. But experts, this is how the media destroy. But experts say that the development, so any expert who doesn't agree should no longer be an expert and should be decertified in whatever they're doing. 
But experts say that the development, testing, and production of a vaccine for the public is still at least 12 to 18 months off and that anything less would be a medical miracle. What Trump did was unbelievable. This has been my point all along. Unbelievable. And so NBC should be taking what they reported on May 15th and say that their experts said this would be a miracle, and it is a miracle. Quote, I think it's possible you could see a vaccine in people's arms next year, by the middle or end of next year, but this is unprecedented, so it's hard to predict, said Dr. Paul Offit, O-F-F-I-T, a professor at the Perlman School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania, and the director of the Vaccine Education Center at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. He must know what he's talking about. I mean, Trump's just a developer and a systemic white supremacist. And then they go on NBC. Offit spent 26 years developing a vaccine for rotavirus, a common and dangerous childhood gastrointestinal disease, before it was approved by the FDA in 2006. He said vaccine development typically takes decades, but that efforts to counter COVID-19 are being fast-tracked by scientists, drug companies, and nations, rallied by the World Health Organization. No, they weren't. They're rallied by Trump. World Health Organization. And they go on. In the best of circumstances, we should have a vaccine, or let's say vaccines, between 12 and 18 months, said Dr. Stanley Plotnick, credited with inventing a rubella vaccine in 1964. Trump's own top infectious disease expert, Dr. Anthony Fauci, told the Today Show that January 2021... Listen to this. January 2021, Mr. Bidu, let's go back and find this so I can play this tomorrow. Fauci told the Today Show that January 2021, remember this is May 15th article, is the earliest the vaccine could be ready. But caution that the timeline is, quote, aspirational, unquote, and depends on companies producing a vaccine before researchers are sure it'll work. Fauci had no significant role in the, in the development of this vaccine. Why is he even commenting on it? Do you see how wrong he was? Do you see how wrong he is on so much? But he's political. January 2021 is the earliest a vaccine could be ready, but cautioned, that's aspirational. Ladies and gentlemen, it's going to be used... At the end of November, 11, 2020, or 12, 2020, early December. This is May 15th. It's not forever ago. And this guy's sitting in a position where he should know. So he's popping off about things he doesn't know, which he does a lot. Pressed on the issue at a Senate hearing, Fauci said again that while he was cautiously optimistic, there's no guarantee that the vaccine's actually going to be effective. Strike two, 95% effective. Rick Bright, who was ousted last month as Deputy Assistant Secretary of Health for Preparedness and Response, testified at a House hearing Thursday that an accelerated timeline might paint too rosy a picture. This is why Trump gets rid of these people. He says, you're not doing your job. Get the hell out of here. You're, you're a liar. Get the hell out of here. You're misleading the public. Get the hell out of here. You can't do that. You can't do that. He does it with generals. 
And he does it with civilians. A lot of optimism is swirling around a 12 to 18 month time frame. If everything goes perfectly, we've never seen anything go perfectly, said Bright. I still think 12 to 18 months is an aggressive schedule. I think it's going to take longer than that. It took 10 months. 10 months. NBC didn't want this to be the case. And these damn companies waited till after the election to do this. I don't think there's any question that Donald Trump fraud, constitutional violations and all, would have won the presidency and would have won it in a landslide. This had been announced a week earlier. All of his efforts, the efforts of the vice president, the efforts of their people, it just is flopped out there by the companies. In the case of Pfizer, five days after the election. Remember, the Democrats were running on primarily the coronavirus that Donald Trump was killing people. When Donald Trump was saving people and trying to save everybody with this vaccine. I can't tell you how angry this makes me. Now, this guy Bright, who says, you know, 12 to 18 months is an aggressive schedule. It's probably going to take longer. Internationally recognized vaccine expert. Filed a whistleblower complaint alleging he was fired for opposing the use of an unproven coronavirus treatment promoted publicly by the president. Trump has called Bright a disrupt employee. Sounds like it. Monsef Slowey, the former head of a pharmaceutical giant, GlaxoSmithKline, their vaccine division, who Trump announced would help lead his administration's vaccine effort, called the president's projection of having a vaccine by the end of the year very credible but conceded that achieving the goal would be extremely challenging. Due to the severe nature of the pandemic, all three experts interviewed said they expect that a promising vaccine will be given emergency use authorization. And it goes on. None of the experts, two said no way, three said no way, one said it's possible, but it's pretty aggressive. And here's what the media and the media syncophants had to say. Cut 14, go. We think we're going to have a vaccine by the end of this year. And the Moderna news comes just one week after Pfizer announced its own COVID-19 vaccine with a similar effective rate of more than 90%. Happy talk that he's doing about a vaccine. Um, experts say he'd be in need a miracle to be right. Would mean basically a miracle happening. That it will take 12 to 18 months to develop, test, and produce a vaccine. I would bet my left arm that Donald Trump can't spell yeah. vaccine, let alone be able to make a <laughs> prediction about when we're likely to see one. Are you worried that President Trump is going to push a vaccine on the public before it is thoroughly ready? Yes. It's not almost over. We won't have a vaccine momentarily. Are they cutting corners for political purposes? There's growing skepticism from the public about the safety of a vaccine. Also new evidence that the American public is worried that the Trump administration will rush a vaccine to market. Now scientists involved in the effort are already worried that President Trump is going to put pressure on the FDA. Now President Trump has promised a coronavirus vaccine by the end of the year. Would you trust that vaccine? There's very little that we can trust that comes out of Donald Trump's mouth. Kamala Harris, genius, not. This poor guy, Trump, I'll tell you what. They didn't give him an inch. They wouldn't 
report the truth. Really a, a superb president of the United States. Substantively, uh, it's, hard to, it's hard to find another, certainly, that, that accomplished so much in such a short period of time against such odds and against such forces. It's just amazing. Now, we're going to have at least two vaccines. We expect to actually have more. The, the efficacy rate is up there with the measles vaccine. I mean, we've really never seen anything like this before. It's a very complex virus. You heard Fauci saying it, the earliest we'll have it, January 2021, and that's a fairly aggressive schedule because he's a bureaucrat. That's the bottom line, and he's talking about things he knows nothing about. He's the infectious disease guy, not the vaccines guy. You want to ask him the weather? He'll be a meteorologist. Whatever you need him to be, he'll be. But I sit here behind this microphone talking to you, my radio family. And what's been done to this president, and even with these vaccines, for these companies to hold back the announcement until after the election when all the work was done in the course of this administration really is, it's so awful. It's so grotesque. And Donald Trump and his group will in fact save hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people as a result of Operation Warp Speed. The seed money, the purchasing of the vaccines before they're even ready, just in case they are. The vials and the syringes all purchased and being manufactured. The transport, the delivery, you know, these, this vaccine has to be kept at, uh, at freezing temperatures. In fact, the, uh, the Pfizer one has to be kept at 70 below zero. So all these things had to be worked out, and they were worked out. While the media was trashing him, while the experts were trashing him, while Congress was trashing him, while they all said it wasn't possible, Trump was actually not only following the science, They were making the science. They were making the science. I'll be right back. The Blaze CDC issues official advisory against traveling for Thanksgiving. As COVID-19 cases surge, let me ask you a question. When this virus first broke out, nobody traveled. Nobody went anywhere. We were scared to death. We're told not to wear masks, and then when masks became available, we wore masks. They shut down our schools. They shut down our economy. Nation's still reeling from it. All this assisted the Democrats and Biden the virus, the shutting down the economy, the shutting down the schools. It's really amazing. It's really amazing. And we're going to continue to watch this as it plays out. But it's amazing that Biden didn't win in some kind of a landslide under these circumstances. He had the press with him. The economy tanked as a result of the virus. The virus caused such human dislocation. That's why this election, Biden, I don't believe. 
I don't know that we'll be able to prove it. I don't know that we'll get the right judges or justices and so forth. I think the Chinese uh, colluded with, uh, with Biden. Don't you, Mr. Producer? I think we need a special counsel investigation. For Trump, that's exactly what would happen. But the CDC official advisory against traveling for Thanksgiving won't change a damn thing. It won't change a damn thing, just as it didn't change a damn thing before. And I'll repeat my point for the four billionth time in the last several weeks. Why do we have this massive resurgence of this virus when most schools are still shut down, when so many small businesses are still shuttered and people are out of work, when everybody I know and see is wearing a mask, it's obvious that the rules of Fauci didn't cut it. And I think it was clear at some point the president realized that, which is why he went full speed ahead on therapeutics and vaccines, without Fauci's help. As coronavirus cases spike across much of the country, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, it's an odd name given what goes on, isn't it? It's an odd name. They weren't ready for this pandemic. And yet that's what they're all paid to do over there. I don't even know how many of them there are. There's zillions of them. Has updated its holiday guidelines. I don't know about you, but do you look to the CDC for holiday guidelines, Mr. Producer? Recommending that people refrain from traveling for Thanksgiving and wear masks around the dinner table. Not a single person at the CDC is going to wear a mask around the dinner table. Not one of them. They treat you like you're hamsters. It's really outrageous. The disrespect they have for all of us. Instead, America should, quote, consider making other plans, such as hosting a virtual gathering or delaying your travel. A virtual gathering? Yes, you do get virtual turkey. Let's continue here. Instead, Americans, uh, for those not traveling but still planning to attend a gathering, health officials recommend that it be with only members of their immediate household, of those who have been together already for at least two weeks. Do they understand what Thanksgiving is, Mr. Producer? Just listen to this. If gathering with individuals outside one's household, the CDC advises wearing a mask and maintaining six feet of distance away from the others. Always wear a mask in public settings when using public transportation when around people you don't live with. The guidance continues, wear a mask and safely store your mask while eating and drinking. What do, what do they mean safely store it? Your mask. You mean as opposed to taking it off and putting it right next to the silverware? That's what I do. During a news conference on Thursday, somehow I missed it, Dr. Henry Walk, the CDC's COVID-19 incident manager, geez, the bureaucracy grows. Relate a grim warning for those who may ignore the warnings and decide to travel. The tragedy that could happen is that one of your family members from coming together in this family gathering actually end up being hospitalized and severely ill and die. CDC's recommending against travel during the Thanksgiving period. Oh, boy. 
Health officials at the agency also urge families of college students who are returning home for the holiday to be extra cautious because they'll be gathering with people outside of their normal community. So what do you do? The kid comes home from college. What do you do? You, you wrap them in bubble wrap, throw them in the bedroom and lock the door. What do you do? And there's more. They have more guidelines for you, ladies and gentlemen. More guidelines. It's best not to celebrate Thanksgiving and stay at home. Well, what do I eat? I don't know what you eat. Eat virtually. Eat virtually. I'll be right back. Mark Levin, America's passionately cerebral voice. Talk with that voice now. 877-381-3811. And I'd be here. Here I am. All right. Let's see here. Anything major I need to get to before I get to the calls? Let's see. 50,000 doctors nearly and scientists have signed global anti-lockdown proclamation. Nobody will care. I care. There's a a case being brought by a conservative legal group, and I want to salute them. Uh, It is called the American Principles Project. I don't know anything about them, but I like this. They filed a federal election commission complaint against Facebook, claiming the social media company broke the law by censoring uh, their PAC ad attacking Joe Biden and Senator Gary Peters in Michigan. The ad slammed their support for a law that would force biological girls to compete with biological boys. Even though PolitiFact could find no factual error in the ad, the fact check claimed the ad was missing context because it contradicted Biden's transgender agenda. Facebook used this fact check to flag the ad. Quote, Facebook censored several of our ads, our PAC ads, this election cycle. The basis for this FEC complaint focuses on the first, which attacked Gary Peters and Joe Biden for their support for the so-called Equality Act, which would destroy women's sports if it were passed into law, said the executive director, Terry Schilling. And by censoring this ad on such a flimsy basis and by allowing ads in favor of Democrats to run unfettered on its platform, Facebook materially contributed to the campaigns of Peters and Biden. I've been saying they ought to make these in-kind contribution complaints left and right. All these campaigns against Facebook. Now, I've already told you, and Mr. Producer's preparing for it. You need to prepare for it, too. This isn't a suggestion. It isn't a threat. At the end of this year, we are leaving Facebook. Now, oddly enough, Twitter has not slammed us. But I'm not going uh, to let the Soviet, communist, genocidal China-type regime activity take place against my audience any longer. We joined Facebook when it was clearly an open and free site. I encouraged you to come over to Facebook, uh, to friend me, to follow me, so we can communicate with each other. Now we have Facebook interfering with our communications. Interfering in a way that I've never been interfered with before until recently. Where they're trying to tell us what we can say to each other. And how we can communicate with each other. But I'm not putting up with uh, fascism, whether it's by government or by a massive corporation and this punk who runs it. 
Zuckerberg, who goes before Congress and, in my view, is very misleading and deceitful. So those of you who are following me on Facebook as well as Twitter, they could be next. I want to strongly encourage you to come over to Parler. Almost four million of you have. We want to, we want to use these sites to communicate with you, to come over, and then discard Facebook. And so Parler, of course, is coming under attack, as you would expect from the fascistic media and the fascistic left. But we don't give a damn about them. They don't matter. They are, by definition, fascistic. So go to Parler, P-A-R-L-E-R, and go to at Mark Levin Show, at Mark L-E-V-I-N Show. Now, some people say it's a little bit more difficult to, to work through it. It's because it's new. It's new for you, and it's new for them. So all the bugs are being worked out, but it's really relatively smooth. I got over there fairly easily. So I want to encourage you to do that. I also want to encourage you to embrace our podcast. Embrace our podcast. That is, go ahead and download the app. So if you're on holiday and the show's not running, or it's preempted, or it's tape delayed, or something happens because some stations made a decision, and we love all our stations, but... I'm saying that the podcast is a backup. And for a lot of people, that's what they listen to. That's what my, life, my, my wife listens to. She listens to the podcast. So we want to be on as many platforms as possible. So please go to marklevinshow.com, marklevinshow.com, marklevinshow.com. Then you'll be on the homepage. Click on Audio Rewind. It's the middle top of that homepage. All right? That'll take you to the podcast page. And then one more click for you to download whichever podcast platform you want. I prefer myself the Apple Podcast, but there's also Stitcher and the Google Podcast, whatever you want. But whatever your age, whatever your interest, if you like this show, if you want to listen to this show, you need to have the podcast loaded and ready to go just in case. Just in case, because you never know what's going to happen on your station, with me, whatever. So download the podcast, please. I'm encouraging you to do that. MarkLevinShow.com. You'll be on the homepage. Click on the audio rewind. It's in the middle, top of the homepage. It'll take you to the podcast page and pick the podcast platform you want. Apple, Google, Stitcher, and you're ready to go. You're ready to go. Some of you go, ah, I don't know, podcast from Schmodcast. It's very easy. If you have a... Uh, you know, phone device, cell phone device. It's very easy. Your iPad, computer, laptop, doesn't matter. And so I want to thank the American Principles Project for pursuing Facebook like they are. A couple more things. We have a really remarkable Secretary of State. I don't know that we've ever had a Secretary of State like this. And Mike Pompeo. And what Mike Pompeo is doing all over the world is fantastic. He's, he's stared down Russia. He's stared down China. And obviously he's doing it at the direction and with the support of the President of the United States. But he's doing it. You have a lot of secretaries of state who resist it. They get devoured by the bureaucracy. You know how it goes. But he has not. He's been very loyal to the President. The President has been really fantastic in many respects. And so 
He's gone to Israel, and he's gone to places in Israel where Secretary of State's never gone before. Do you know Donald Trump is the first, I think he's the first president to go to the Western Wall. But we know for sure the Secretary of State is the first high official of the United States government. I read, to go to the city of David. which predates Jerusalem, but is right on the the edge of Jerusalem. It's called the City of David because of King David, who founded it. This Secretary of State went to Samaria, Judea and Samaria, you've heard them. This really is the, the birthplace of Judaism. The Palestinians claim it because they claim everything. They demand everything. They're not the indigenous peoples there, the Jews are. But that's beside the point. And so he went to this area, and he went to a winery there, the Sagat Winery. And um, this winery is really quite famous, not in America so much, because it fought a rule but the European Union and others that insisted that on its label it can't say a product of Israel. It was required to say something like a product of the West Bank or whatever, and they, they, they really fought that. And for a period of time they lost, with the European Union anyway. So one of the things the Secretary of State did today, as he said, for now on it's the official position of the United States government that products that come out of these areas will be said to be a product of Israel. Secretary of State also announced that organizations that embrace the BDS movement, which is intended to destroy the economy and the existence of Israel, was founded by anti-Semites and leftists in the Middle East and Europe and so forth as a way to try and destroy this little country. He said any organizations tied into that movement will receive no government monies from the federal government. It's a remarkable Secretary of State. Now in the meantime, I'm looking at Breitbart.com. Do you know who Corrine Jean Perry is? Neither did I. She's a hate Israel radical who praised Democrats for shunning a pro-Israel conference last year. She's actually emerged as a top contender to be, God forbid if he is, Joe Biden's White House press secretary. NBC News' Jeff Bennett cited multiple sources as saying that Jean Perret, currently an aide to Biden's running mate Kamala Harris, how do you like that, was the top candidate for the position. If she's chosen, she'd be the first woman of color to serve as press. Who cares? I can think of a lot of women of color be better than this lady. How come they never do this with Republicans? First woman, first woman of color. First person to stand on their head. First person, you know. How come they never do this with conservatives and Republicans? They didn't say if John James got elected to the Senate from Michigan, he'd be the first modern black senator from Michigan. They don't say stuff like that, do they? 
Jean Perry, then a national spokesperson and senior advisor for the George Soros-funded leftwingmoveon.org, lauded the 2020 presidential candidates for boycotting APAC, the annual bipartisan pro-Israel gathering in 2019. Now, APAC is, is a squish operation. Squish. Mush. Well, we got to get along with the Democrats. we got to get along with the Republicans. we got to get along. That sort of thing. Writing in Newsweek, she maintained that the Democratic candidates, quote, made the right call, unquote, that APAC's values and policies are not progressive. So here we have, honestly, an Israel-hating whack job who's an advisor to Kamala Harris. It's funny how this comes out now. Isn't it amazing? If you're a leftist and you're a radical and you're a Jew hater, you have nothing to worry about in the Democrat Party. You have nothing to worry about in the press. Nothing. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. So Joe Biden is taken by these public sector unions. He's ridden on their shoulders his entire life, public career. Now they've shut down our schools. And what's Joe Biden's solution? He doesn't even talk about it. The Democrat parties are destroying our children. The Democrat party is destroying our children. It's destroying our schools. It's the plaything of the teachers' unions. The Democrat Party's already destroyed our cities. 300,000 people, by last count, have left New York City. I was in Florida visiting a family member, and they can't keep up with the immigration of citizens from other states into Florida. And, of course, the locusts, the liberal Democrats, they'll come in and they'll vote Democrat. Because why? I think they're mentally ill. Something's not right. But look what they're doing to our schools. You never hear these health experts talk about our schools. I heard an assistant secretary of HHS that would be a Trump appointee, a psychiatrist. She's very concerned about this. And you should be, too. What's going to happen to this generation of children? And the experts are shutting the schools. The, the school systems are shutting. The teachers are blackmailing them. And then they're getting salary increases. All these things, why are they out of our control? Why are they out of our control? You know, the cities suffer the most from Democrats, and the Democrats rely on the cities for support. It's the craziest damn thing. One day, maybe a thousand years from now, somebody's going to write about this. The insanity of it. Now we have this from the Free Beacon. American gun owners could face tens of billions of dollars in new taxes just to keep the guns they already own under Democrat Joe Biden's gun ban and tax plan. At least 20 million rifles, 150 million ammunition magazines would be caught up in a sales ban and registration scheme Biden touted on the campaign trail. Biden wants to ban new sales of AR-15 rifles and similar firearms, as well as any ammunition magazine holding more than 10 rounds, sizes that come standard on most modern rifles and handguns. He would pay some owners to surrender the affected guns they legally own and force everyone to register the guns under the National Firearms Act. 
and that would require a $200 tax stamp. I'm telling you, it's just, uh, it doesn't get, it, it's just, uh, you look at every liberty you have, he and they have the opposite point of view. Opposite. They don't want poor people to have a choice of schools. They don't want you to have a choice of health care. And choice only matters if you're killing a baby. That's a woman's right to kill a baby. Folks, does this holiday season feel like it's been a long time coming? Well, for me, too. We're going to have to fight these people on the airwaves, at the grassroots level, in courts, administratively, every way we know. God forbid if Donald Trump's not president. And I want to encourage you to stop listening to people on TV and radio who are not going to help us. Dismiss them. We don't need them. The same people who said we wouldn't have a vaccine by now. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel, and all the lawyers out there who are working relentlessly and most without pay to try and save this republic in one state after another. See you tomorrow, and God bless. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. 